This morning, if you have a Bible handy, electronic format, or if you want to reach for the Bible there uh, beside you there in the chairs, we're going to be back on page 917, uh, back in the New Testament there. It's the book of Acts, and we'll be in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Here we read the story of a man named Saul, and later his name uh, is changed to be Paul. And so we know him as missionary, the apostle, the missionary Paul. Uh, He is one of the main characters uh, in this book of Acts, and he is about um, eventually to be on these missionary journeys, uh, taking... uh, the, the good news of Jesus Christ and spreading that around the Mediterranean world. But this is the story where he, his life is changed. And uh, this is where the Lord is going to change his life and set him on a whole different course because he's been up to this point. We've only got a little bit of a story on him so far. We won't go back and read that, but the little bit of story we have He's been one who, as a Jew, he thought that Christianity was dead wrong. Dead wrong. And he wanted to be someone to stamp out Christianity. He wanted to stamp out Christ and the work of Christ and the good news that was spreading. And now we read this story of what happened here. Saul, I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 9 about Saul. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly... A light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So we'll stop there. That's the reading of of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we turn now to you asking for your blessing Uh, We ask for your spirit to guide us in your word and show us, O Lord, uh, the wonderful lessons and the teaching that you have for us today. And may you minister to our hearts and lives. Uh, Make this to be applicable and practical for us, Lord, that we would know who you are and how you have your hand upon us for your service to serve you, Lord, every day that we live. And we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the story of the book of Acts, the story of the book of Acts, it begins in the city of Jerusalem. And when you get to the end of the story of the book of Acts, down at Acts chapter 28, down at the end of the story, the story in Acts ends in Rome. So just imagine that with me. This is to say that Jesus Christ at this point has returned to his father in terms of the storyline here. He ascended after he was raised. He was ascended back to his father. And then he sent his spirit to the church. And that's the the Pentecost that we celebrate. And that's in the book of Acts. And as things continue to unfold in the book of Acts here, the story of the gospel spreading begins in the city of Jerusalem and then makes its way all around the Mediterranean world over to Rome. So what's happening here? This is the story of of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Though Christ has ascended back to His Father and now is ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand, He is right close with His church. He's over His church, and yet He is with His church. And now He's helping His church to spread the Gospel. And the church is growing and flourishing and being built up. And people are hearing about the good news and they're coming to Christ to believe and trust in the Lord. Well, these particular acts of the apostles, of what's going on, we take, special, we take special notice here with this one named Saul. You know, the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Isaiah um, that the throne of God, that, that, that he is in, he's in the heavens, and it's like he's sitting on a throne. Now, you know, you know God does not have a body. God is a spirit, But we have these images in Scripture to help us to understand something like his authority, his rule, his power, his majesty. 
And so the Bible will use those images for us to give us understanding. And so it'll say things like, the heavens are his place of his throne. It goes on to say in Isaiah that the earth, and it uses a a metaphor or a figure of speech that way too, the earth is like his footstool. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Talking, This is all talking about how he's ruling over all things. Well, this is especially true here in the life of this one named Saul. Saul becomes part of this footstool in that sense where the Lord is ruling over Saul while he's ruling over the church. And that's what you have here. I'd like us to look at three lessons about Jesus Christ. He's the incomparable Christ. That's to say, he's unmatched. He's unequal with his power, authority, and majesty. We'll also look at Christ who then sets forth his commission. Saul's life has changed and he's commissioned in the service. We'll also see Christ who is central in what Saul now is all about. He's now about teaching the word of God, but especially teaching about Jesus Christ. Christ is central. Let's look first of all at the incomparable Christ in his majesty here. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Saul is on his way, and he approached Damascus. Remember, he's going there to try to find people who are named, at this point in this chapter, it's, the church is called the way. It's almost like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They're named the way. So he's, he's, he's pursuing Christians. He's looking for Christians to try to stamp out Christianity. As he approached Damascus, verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will, you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless and hearing the voice but seeing no one. And then Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he's without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Again, this part of the story, our eyes are being focused here. We're being led to go to the Lord Jesus Christ as the incomparable one. And so... Let me just ask you as a question to get started here. Good Shepherd Church, do you have the expectation, do you have the anticipation that Jesus Christ is leading you, guiding you, overseeing your life, overseeing the work of this church, overseeing the city where we live here in Houston? Do you anticipate that indeed He will show his majesty. He will show his authority to lead. He will be about accomplishing his will in your life and in the will of the church or in the life of the church. I ask it this way because we might think, oh no, what's happened here? Saul, a persecutor of the church. Now Saul was a Jew. He was a Jew. And he thought he was doing a good thing, a good service to seek to stamp out Christianity. And so we might begin to think, thinking about this storyline, Lord, are you in control after all? Lord, are you the majestic one after all? Uh, So I ask you, do you anticipate, do you you expect, uh, do you have your faith in the Lord to remember that he is the majestic one? Um, he, he, He is on his throne 
He has perfect control of all things. And I say that especially because in Saul's life, three times, three times this story of Saul being turned around is mentioned in the book of Acts. Three times. Because God wants to record that for us three times to bring it home, to drive it home to us, that we might know that, yes, he is the majestic Lord. He is near to his church. He has not forgotten the hardships that the church goes through. He's not forgotten the hardships you go through. He's not forgotten your life. He is with you in your sorrows and griefs, your cares and your concerns. He's the majestic one, the incomparable one. And especially let me drive home the fact that here we are building the church here at Good Shepherd. It is so easy to have our sights lowered, our expectations to kind of be diminished, our vision about what God might be doing here at Good Shepherd uh, to, to grow dim. But no, he's the majestic one. He is at work. He is the one uh, about carrying out his will. We see that here in the book of Acts. Why? He's the conquering risen Christ. Look what it says here about the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, isn't that a strange question? I thought Saul was persecuting the church, right? What's going on with that? It's Jesus' closeness, right, to his church. He so identifies with us. He's so near to us that that's the language that is used. Though he's lofty and high and above the church, he is indeed humble, a servant, and identifying with the church. And that's why he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus indeed is near to his church. Once again, congregation, this is the Lord working in your life. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ and you confess your sins, when you come to Jesus Christ for your salvation, when you come to Jesus Christ in repentance, and repentance simply means you turn 180 degrees away from your sin. If you're standing here and you're facing sin, that's to say, if your life is characterized by living, living in sin, repentance is turning around and facing Christ. It's turning away from sin and facing and turning Christ, turning to Christ. This very day, this very morning, if you're in the Lord Jesus, you love Him, you're serving Him. That's to say, you're now united to Him. And that's why Jesus is saying here, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am so identified and united to my people. What they experience, I experience. When there is hardship for them, there's hardship for me. When there's, when there's a, a, a lack of faith in terms of uh, growing diminished and reducing and decreasing in weakness, Jesus understands that weakness. He understands that area of hardship in our weakness. Jesus is so identified with you, Good Shepherd Church, with you, that he lives through you. He walks with you. Paul will say in the book of Colossians, just as you have received Christ, now walk in him. And that's to say he is living in you as you carry out that walk. Now, he's the incomparable Christ. Why? Because all of his majesty is being displayed. He is overruling. He's over, and he is in control of your life. And at the same time, he is with you. 
and leading you. Friends, let me just drive this home one important way, in one important way. Sometimes in the Christian life, and I fully relate to this, sometimes in the Christian life, our sense of His presence can go way down. Our sense of being close to Him can go way down. But friends, this is telling us His presence never leaves us. His presence is never reduced or decreased, diminished. His presence is never swallowed up by sin or Satan or some difficulty or hardship. We may lose that sense. He is always constant and with us. So we walk by faith. Lord, increase my sense of your presence. Lord, increase my faith in you. Increase my my understanding that you're always with me, never to leave me, never to forsake me. This is the incomparable Christ. We also learn here that he's the Christ who commissions. He changes this life of Saul and commissions him into another direction. Look at verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. Why go, Ananias? He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed. He entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you by on the road by which you came. And he sent me now to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And immediately something like scales from, fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. And then he arose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is the Lord who commissions. The Lord who commissions. God's commissioning always rests on God's appointment. That's to say, God has his plan. God has his appointment of his plan. That's to say, he directs that plan. He orders that plan. Do you know the Bible tells us that he knows the number of days we will live? The Bible tells us he knows where we will live. The Bible tells us that he knows the origin of our, of our family line. That's to say that he leads us in and through descendants and leads us to live for a time and a season and a place. That's to say, God has a plan. And that plan is that he takes our lives and by his grace, he turns us away from sin and turns us to Christ to commission us. Now the passage here is speaking about Saul. Go, he's telling Ananias, you go to this one who's my chosen instrument. That's you. Our God, from all eternity, before creation, 
before the world began, before your life being born, before your life being born with your family, your background, all before, our God from eternity past, out of his grace and mercy, would reach according to his plan and put his hand upon your life. Out of his love, out of his grace, the Bible says he chose us before the foundation of the world. Why? Only according, all because of, all for the, out of the purpose of his good pleasure. There was nothing in us that he saw. There was nothing according to our inclinations that he saw. He didn't say, hey, I think Mark Sumter is going to be a religious man. I'm going to put my love on him. I think he's going to be a religious man. I, like, I kind of like where Mark is going, how his life is going. No, none of that. It's not because of something in us. Not because of something I've done, good or ill, righteous or unrighteous. Wow. It's his grace, his love, his mercy, according to his own will. The Bible tells us not because we are many in number or few, not because we have strength or weakness, not because we have wealth or poverty, not because we will have longevity of life or shortness of life. Nothing out of his grace and mercy he comes and he places his sovereign electing love upon us. And he did that with Saul. He is my chosen instrument. This very day, we don't know the mysteries of God. That's to say, we don't, we don't, place, our, we don't place our understanding about salvation in the sovereign mysteries of God. We place our understanding about salvation in the promises of grace. He works out the mysteries the Bible tells us to believe and you'll be saved. The Bible tells us, come to Christ. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. The Bible tells us, come to Christ. My life is then hid in me, Jesus. My life is now your life. My plan is now your plan. My cho choosing of you to be a vessel, an instrument for my purposes is now the choosing that you experience and know and love and will serve. And gladly be a part of. He does the commissioning. This is his design. Now friends, do you know what this means? Just like Saul. This means that your life is over. This means that your life is, is no more in the sense that, that self is number one. This means that your talents, your abilities, your intellect, your various capacities to sing, to speak, your working hands... Um, your desires to, to express empathy, sympathy, care, your dispositions about... They're all the Lord's. He's the God who gifts you. He's the God who calls you a gift. That's why the Bible will tell us that Jesus Christ, when He ascended back to heaven, it, it's using the language that He's like a military conquering king. You remember in the old days of the Mediterranean world, the conquering king would go into a place and by... By the military effort, he would overtake a new region. And then all those spoils would be his. That's the same imagery the Bible uses for you. 
He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of you, you are His spoils of victory. And the Bible tells us that he don't, he, he, He'll call you a spoil of victory, but what he, it's what it's meant in that passage that is you are a gift. He has purchased you as a gift. And a gift now to serve the Lord. Your life is done. Your life is, is complete. You are no longer setting the pace. Lord, I'm here to serve you. Lord, I'm here to do your bidding. Lord, I'm here to do your will. And you see, this is Paul now. He's turned from his sin. Why? Because the Lord came to him and changed his heart, appointed him into service, appointed him now to be using his gifts so friends, this day, tell the Lord, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, in your grace, you've called me. Lord, in your mercy, you've reached to me. You've reached your, your hand upon me. Lord, in your grace, you struck me down. You took my life and took my sin, washed it away, wiped it away, made it brand new in Christ. Lord, I'm here to do your bidding. Uh, friends, this, this, this changes our whole attitude. Lord, I, I, I now get to serve you. You're the Lord, majestic King. I get to serve you. What a blessing it is to serve and see how the Lord is going to use His church to advance His kingdom. One last one. Christ is central. Christ is central in all things. Look at verse 20. And immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying He is the Son of God. That was his message. Verse 21. And all who heard Him were amazed and said, Is not, is not this the man? who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon His name? And has He not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. And what was He doing? Proving, uh, proving indeed that Jesus was the Christ. Friends, do you see how, how Christ is now central? That's why we say, when we live for the Lord, He's number one. When we die, we die for the Lord. When we use our gifts, we use our gifts for the Lord. What are we about centrally to teach? That Christ is the Son of God, right here in the passage. What are, we, what, what are we about when we tell someone else about Jesus Christ? We don't, we don't have to tell them so much about our own lives. We can simply say, He's the Son of God. That's what Paul was doing. We can take him to the Bible. He's the central one. He, he's what the Bible's all about. Uh, do we want to tell people about the experience we have? Yes, we can tell them about the experience we have. But the dominant message, the main message, he's the son of God. He's the central one to be proven from the Bible. Let me show you in the Bible. We, we might come up to someone and say, you know what? I know you've been talking to me about, uh, about the matter of of, of, of lying. You know what? Jesus has something about lying to say here. You've been talking to me about the matter of feeling hopeless and despairing. You know, Jesus has something to say about hopelessness and despairing in life. We're proving that He's the central one in the Scriptures. We're proving that indeed He's the one who brings hope. We give ourselves to the person and to the work of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. And indeed, He's exalted over all with the highest name. So friends, this matter of He being central is to say, Lord, I'm here for you. 
I'm here to learn of your word. I'm here to be able to flip through pages and see where you are, Lord, what you're doing and how you're the majestic one. You're central. And I want to make your centrality known to others. So think about it as I close. The book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, goes all the way to the city of Rome. The Bible tells us that when Peter preached, there were 3,000 who were converted. A couple of chapters later, uh, there's another multitude who come to faith. Another chapter later, chapter uh, Acts chapter 6, there are many of the religious priests in the city of Jerusalem who were added to the church. The church is growing. The church is moving from place to place and an increase of size. The Bible also tells us that people were sitting at the apostles' feet, the apostles' teaching. So the church is deepening in its growth. How about you this morning? Christ is Lord. Tell him today, Lord, take my life. I'm here out of your grace. I'm here to serve you. Let's pray. Father, do take us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you be the one to show us your majesty and to show us your closeness. Oh, Father, we know that there are different Uh, different ways where we long to see you minister to us and minister through us. Build us up, we pray. Guide us, we ask. Oh, Father, in all things, may Jesus Christ be the majestic one. And we do ask these things, and we pray for his grace and favor for that increase of service to Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.